Hey, thanks so much for joining us for the New Life Brisbane podcast. New Life Church is one family, many churches, and we're located across Coolangatta, Brisbane, and Rabina. And we exist to simply see more people more like Jesus by planting and leading thriving local churches. You've joined us in a series we've titled Rhythms. And isn't it true that we all structure our lives in one way or another? And those rhythms we adopt, those habits we entertain are not just things that we do, but are all things that do something to us. In this series, we will be asking the question, who are you becoming? And together, we'll explore how our spiritual formation and spiritual disciplines can lead us to become more like Jesus. We pray that this message is a blessing. Gracious God, as we come before you today, uh, we, we just pause and still ourselves. I thank you that you are so faithful. You are so good. You are worthy to be praised. Maybe we're here and we're skeptical. Maybe we're here, we're questioning, or we've had bad experiences with Christianity, faith, and church, or we've been here for a while, or wherever we are. I pray that, that, that we would know the power of that truth, that your word never returns void. Transform us and shape us today. And as always, less of me and more of you. And all God's people said, amen. amen. If you walk into my house and you turn to the left, and you turn to the left, you will see uh, my lounge room. And my lounge room is the place where we hang out, we have fun. It's also the place where you'll see this photo on the screen. I've not had a chance to chat with James Hogg. So if James keeps up with me today, it's because he's got a spiritual gift of discernment on slides and knows where I'm at. But you'll see three guitars. Wow, James, my man. Um, You'll see three guitars. And if you walk in, most people ask me the same question when they see these three guitars. They say, Michael, I didn't know you could play guitar. To which my wife is very quick to quip, I didn't know he could play guitar either. These three guitars, the smallest one is my son's Archer because he loves Aaron more and wants to be Aaron one day. I wanted him to be me, but he went somewhere better. So he would love to play like Aaron. The other two were mine. One is a guitar that's been on loan from a friend for 12 years. He's forgotten about it, and so I just haven't reminded him. The other one was a gift from my wife. You see, every year I say to Sarah, this is the year I learn guitar. This is the year. And about five years ago, she was so encouraged and excited that I would be able to serenade her one night on our romantic dates or something like that, that she bought me a guitar. And uh, it's beautiful. I was that excited about the guitar that I display it in my lounge room, and I still only know how to play G as a chord. And the reason is, friends, is because good intentions around playing guitar is not enough to be good at playing guitar. If I want to know how to make beautiful sounds out of this instrument, it takes time, it takes habit, bless you. Uh, it takes this moment where you actually dedicate space in your life. Friends, it takes rhythm. It takes establishing a rhythm of practice. So you'd be able to create beautiful music with a guitar. It takes a decision to sacrifice and to do to learn. And it's a little bit the same with our discipleship. So often I find myself longing to become more like Jesus or longing God to do something beautiful in my life. God just changed me and transformed me. Almost as if being a Christian is like just add water and everything else just happens. God longs for nothing more than your life to make beautiful music that glorifies Him and blesses the world. And salvation is a free gift that we cannot earn. We are accepted into the family of God, not because of what we do, but because of what He has done. But the issue is becoming like Christ isn't an accident. It's the intentional decision of the rhythms that we inhabit with our life. And that's why we're in this series. 
It's a series where we're actually talking about the heart of our church. It's a series about discipleship. Now, if you've been at New Life Brisbane and heard uh, Pastor Alex preach, if you haven't heard Pastor Alex preach in just your first Sunday, come back next Sunday, far better. His hand signals will be way more illustrative than mine. It'll be far more enjoyable. But for the sake of this, there's a quote that Alex has kind of shared with us for this series. And it's a quote that has stuck with me and is pertinent for today. It's a quote by Dallas Willard. He's probably shared it with you before. And it says this, The greatest issue in the world today that lies at, at its heart of all the breaking needs, at all of its heartbreaking needs, is whether those who by profession or culture are identified as Christians will become disciples. Students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus, steadily learning from Him how to live the life of the kingdom of heaven into every corner of existence. Now, for those in the room who maybe just a bit overwhelmed by the length of Dallas's quote, let me just explain what he's saying. He's saying there's two kinds of people here today. There may be many, but, but those two kinds of people, how beautiful are the sounds of the city. We do pray just that um, that's gonna be okay in Jesus' name. There's this sense that he's saying two things. When you walk into a church where people call church home, there's really two kinds of people. There might be a third kind of explorer, someone may not be a part of faith, but those who call themselves Christians and those who call themselves disciples. And he says there's a huge difference between the two. And the question that leaves us with us today is, which one are we? Are we Christians or are we disciples? See, so often we get labeled this idea of Christians. There's over two billion people in the world that call themselves Christians. But from my understanding, what has come to defame and undermine the faith that many of us profess are people who call themselves Christians but would never be recognized as disciples. See, back thousands of years ago, a disciple was someone who would find a teacher or be called by a teacher, and this teacher would walk around. And this disciple was not someone who just listened to what the teacher said, who wasn't able to regurgitate back what the teacher said, who wasn't even able to say what the teacher said in Greek or in ancient Hebrew and, and point to commentaries about how beautiful knowledge is around what the teacher was saying. No, a disciple was someone who the teacher expected to not only hear, but to do, to listen and obey. And I get the privilege today of talking about our final rhythm, the rhythm of hearing and obeying, which I know some of you are like, I chose the wrong Sunday to come to church. The pastor's talking about obedience. This sucks. This is not what I love about church. It's not what I love about Christianity. And can I tell you as the one delivering the message, I feel you today. There's nothing less sexy than talking about obedience. We all have an issue. Maybe some of us have had obedience used by parents or by churches by schools as a way of corralling our behavior and controlling who we are as unique, called individuals of God. But friends, I believe that there is actually a form of obedience that doesn't lead to imprisonment, it leads to freedom and it leads to life. Because the truth is, we all obey something. We all obey something. If you're here today, you're here, or you live and breathe because you are obedient to something and someone. Before you worry too much about that. And just simply, I mean, think about how beautiful you all look today. I've looked out, genuinely, most of us have great fashion. I won't point out the ones that we're questioning. But there's this sense, there's this, you, you, we all know, now why do you dress the way you dress? It's not because you woke up one day and you're like, this is my self-expression. It's because there's a sense of cultural understanding that molds the way the clothes we wear. Now, that's not bad to obey fashion. I love fashion. Some of you might think otherwise, but I do love fashion. Now, we obey things, but some things we obey are good. We obey road rules. Some of us obey road rules. We obey the government sometimes. 
we obey the way our culture forms us and shapes us, but there are things that are more existential that we obey, aren't there? We obey cultural subtexts without thinking about them. We obey social norms without questioning them. We obey news headlines without actually questioning, okay, you know, what's actually the deeper, what's going on here? Friends, we're all being obedient to something. See, it's not necessarily the question will be, a, the question will be on the screen. It is what we obey, not if we obey, that determines our freedom. What is your life most obedient to today? And maybe a more pertinent question is, what is your rhythm of hearing and obeying? Now, if you're here today and you're not a Christian and you're sitting there going, this is exactly what I thought they would preach about when I came to church. Caught them out. I just want to, could you, could you just stay with us just for a little bit? Just, just lean in and, and maybe just by the end, I might be able to paint a vision for you of obedience that's far better than the world. Maybe you're here today and you've come from churches where stuff like this is spoken about. It's been more oppressive than freeing. And I can't promise you that I'm going to do any better than other pastors, but I believe the Savior we serve is far better at it than I could be. Would you come and examine his life with us? And if you're here and you're a Christian, I believe there's a challenge for us today. Is your life marked by obedience? Is your life marked by obedience? Where do we get this from in Scripture? Michael, this is really nice, but I believe in the Jesus that's like about grace, and so do I. But is this pertinent? Is this central? And if you look in Scripture, it's actually, there's a wealth of Scripture about this. We're going to turn today to James chapter 1. Um, Mr. Hogg, if you want to skip forward a couple of slides. James chapter 1 says this. Do not merely listen to the Word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Everyone say, do. There was a guy saying, come on, louder than the whole room saying, do. Let's try that again. Say, do. Thank you. Do what it says. It goes on, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. There are two kind of parts here that James assumes. The first one is here. He says, do not merely listen to the word. And that assumes a really crucial part about being a disciple of Jesus, that we listen to the Word. Now, when does that take place? Why does that take place? And I'll just spend a moment before we get to the doing part, talking about the rhythm of listening and hearing the Word of God. I believe there are two really important forms of listening to the Word that we do as part of a rhythm of Christianity. The first one is when we gather communally, either in small groups or here at church. We listen to the Word of God in community. And here's my belief, friends. I believe more than anything else that is up to us today whether or not we actually want to allow the Word of God to transform and change our lives. But I know today that when the Word of God is preached faithfully, that it shifts and transforms us. If you want today, there's a transformative message around and for you. We gather here regularly as people because there is something that infects us where we believe and dare to hope that when a group of people come in a community and sit under this book, that something shifts and changes and shapes us. That there is a revolutionary text and words inside this, these pages that have the daring ability to shift history because it shifts the human soul. And sometimes the reason why we struggle with the book is because we misinterpret it. Uh, one of my favorite movies growing up, not growing up, really when I was a young adult, um, I love chick flicks. And one of the best chick flicks out there, I think, is Notting Hill. If you haven't seen Notting Hill, come on. 
on. Wait till I get to the resurrection. Bring the power then. There's this sense, right, in Notting Hill. There's these, this guy, you may have heard me talk of this before, where this guy named Spike is living with Hugh Grant's character. And Spike comes out wearing something ghastly and he's eating a jar of white cream. And he says, oh, there's something wrong with this yogurt. And Hugh Grant turns around and goes, that's because it's not yogurt, it's, uh, it's mayonnaise. And Spike takes it in the mouth and goes, ah, perfect mayonnaise then and walks off, and we're like, what the, why is he eating mayonnaise? And I, I say that story because it's kind of like a little bit how I'd approach the Bible. We open the Bible, and we're looking for the latest John Grisham thriller, or you know, J.K. Rowling, or wherever you're at. I, I love the lady who writes The Dry at the moment, Jane, Jane Harper, she's doing great. Anyway, uh, like, I love these, but if you read the Bible, so often like we read nonfiction and fiction literature, friends, I've got to be honest, you're going to be bored. You're probably going to fall asleep, and you're probably going to go, ah, this makes no sense. There's not like this, you know, the characters seem to change a lot throughout this book. And it's true because before this book was anything to us, it was a historical document written over 1,500 years by over 40 different authors throughout history. Now, this is not a sermon that's going to defend the historical veracity of this book. Alex would do a much better job at that than I will. But it does hold, as someone who studied his story, that this, that this book was written by criminals it was written by kings, it was written by prophets, it was written by shepherds, it was written by, by people who had no excuse to be writing words of Holy Scripture that were collated together in canonical form and still to this day hold together a narrative that seemed to still shift and transform the human heart. It is a book that's the most stolen in history, it's the most illegal in history, and I can tell you right now, friends, I would not be here today with the man I am today if not for the Word of God. But still, so many of us approach it flippantly. The Hindu man, Gandhi, would say it like this. You Christians look after a document containing enough dynamite to blow all civilization to pieces, turn the world upside down and bring peace to a battle-torn planet, but you treat it as nothing more than a piece of literature. When we gather, we gather because we believe that there's something that happens corporately that can't happen privately. Now, I can't explain that to you logically, but I know it's true. When a group of people hear the word of God collectively and they respond to it collectively, I believe darkness shakes in our world. Now, some of you might be sitting here today and be like, Michael, I've heard that many sermons about the Bible. There's a guy who would agree with you, a critic once wrote a letter into a magazine saying over the thousands of, over, not thousands of years, over the years, I suppose I've gone to church more than a thousand times. And I can't remember the specific content of even one sermon over those many years. What good is going to church 1,000 times? Can I hear an amen? Good. That was not the moment. Although some of you are like, I would love to say amen. The next week, someone else wrote back, over the past many years, I've eaten more than 1,000 meals prepared by my family. I cannot remember the specific menu of any one of those meals, but they nourished me along the way, and without them, I would be a much different person. This is what we believe, friends. We don't gather because each Sunday there's this sense of awe and wonder that happens amongst us. We gather because the awe and wonder has already taken place in our hearts, and we want to bear witness to it together. That's why we're here. That's why we're here. The Apostle Paul wrote to a young man named Timothy, a church planner, and he says this, Timothy... Never remember, in fact, it'll be on the screen. It'll be a couple slides back, Mr. Hope. That'd be fantastic. He says, but as for you, Timothy, continue on what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you have learned it and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which can make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. There's this moment here where he says to Timothy, Timothy, you were lucky that your grandmother Eunice 
gave her faith to your mother. This happens in another verse in Timothy. And she passed that faith down to you. And from a child, you were raised in the way of God. But now there's this moment where what's happening to Timothy is the pressure around him in Ephesus is starting for him to be timid, capitulate, and go, maybe I was wrong. Maybe this isn't what's true. Maybe it's not. And, and, and Paul comes and he snaps Timothy back to him. He goes, no, 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 Timothy. You can trust what has stood for generations. And I just want to say this today to those of you in the room. New Life Brisbane is growing generationally. There are more babies being born. Even right now, there are teenagers sitting in this room. There are children next door. And they are watching. We think sometimes we gather for us. And they're watching how we worship. They're watching how we take this seriously. If you're a parent in the room, we should be praying for you. Because there is more happening formatively in the lives of your children now than almost any other time in their life. Friends, what would the next generation know about faith by how we take the scriptures seriously? Why? Paul goes to Timothy, hey, Timothy, never forget this, that all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And we can read that and go, for those of you who know, even the Old Testament. And I'd say, actually, Paul was, at this moment, mainly writing about the Old Testament. Leviticus. Some of you are like, what? And this was the source of what he was saying. He said, it's all good to be shaped and be transformed. Friends, when we gather, we believe something takes place here. As Paul would say in Hebrews, do not forsake the weekly gathering of the saints. It breaks my heart that regular church attendance these days is one in every six. If you ask someone how regularly they went to the toilet and they said one in every six weeks, you'd probably go, that's not very regular. And I just, I, just, I just say, this stuff matters. Because I believe that we get distracted from gathering together because something powerful happens when we exist in community under the Word of God. We only hear it communally, we also hear it personally. A couple of years ago, I was struggling in my faith. I was about um, 21 years old, I made a bunch of silly decisions in my life, and I was at our church down at New Life Rabina, we only had one church back then, and my lead minister at the time, Stu Cameron, was preaching, and he just offered for prayer after the service, as we often do here at New Life. And there was just this moment where I was like, oh, yeah, I'd love to go down the front. Like, I, I have nothing left. I'm ready to walk away. I'm done. I'm done with faith. I'm done with church. And I, I went down the front and said, Stu, I need help. What does God want me to do? Some of you have heard me tell this story before. And Stu prayed for me, and uh, I felt nothing. It was really unremarkable. And then she said, Michael, I just really sense that God's saying, you need to go read the Bible. I was like, I'm really sensing you should go ask again. <laughs> like, I was hoping that I could go pray for all the people sick in Rabina and they would get healed and I'd lead revival or like maybe walk on water. I wasn't really keen to read the Bible. And like, I just, I just remember feeling in this moment, I'm like, God, this is boring but I gave it my best shot. I remember going, I remember distinctly, I went home that day, sat out on the porch of my veranda, I was living with my parents at the time, and I opened to the book of Jeremiah. And if you're feeling this today, can I just give you a quick suggestion? Don't open to the book of Jeremiah, unless you want like a fast track to depression and like sadness. Because like I read this saying, Jeremiah is weird, man, he's bizarre. And I was flipping weirded out, but I'm like, I'm just gonna keep going. And slowly, surely, after a couple of days, a couple of weeks, just I sense the, the Spirit starting to speak. 
open up the Gospels. And as over time I committed myself to it, God started to make himself known to me through the scriptures. And I say this to you today because sometimes I think we want an answer to our faith that is sexier than what we actually need. When God is actually speaking to us profoundly, every day, not every day, let's be honest, a lot of the time, since then, I've, I've sat with my Bible in the morning. I used to wake up at 6. I've now got kids. If you wake up at 6, that's go time. So I wake up about 4.35 now, and I just go downstairs. I'm on decaf at the moment, so I put myself some God-forsaken decaf, and I, um, I open up the Word of God. And guys, to be honest, there are some mornings when it's so boring. I don't know if I can say that as a lead minister, where it's just a struggle. Has anyone else ever felt like that? But I've actually found that I go through the days of struggle, and there are these days of beauty. And God speaks. And I just want to say to someone today, God wants to talk to you. Your questions don't frighten him. Your concerns don't challenge him. Come. Be found at the feet of Jesus. We hear the word of God privately, and we hear it corporately. I want to move to the most important part today. But then James says this. If we go back to the verse in James, he says this. Don't just be listeners, because if that's all we do, we deceive ourselves. Do what it says. Do what it says. James has this moment where he, he kind of paints this really weird picture. He goes, it's kind of like a dude that goes to a mirror and he looks in a mirror and he sees himself. And, and like, I know what this is like. I always think I look like Brad Pitt. Like, I don't know what it is, but I just think I look like Brad Pitt most days. And then I go to a mirror and I'm always shocked. I talk to my wife about it. I'm like, it's always humbling for me. I'm like, oh, you look nothing like Brad Pitt. But it's almost like as if I looked at myself like, ah, not as good as you thought. And then you are turned away and immediately thought to myself, man, I'm as good as Brad Pitt again. That's what he's saying. Sometimes I read the Bible and like, what does James mean by the mirror? I think he means a flipping mirror. I think he's just being basic. He's just trying to be like, it's as clear as it is. It's as bizarre to look at yourself in the mirror and forget what you look like as it is to hear the word of God, be challenged by it, and walk out the door and go, what, what was that again? And it's so important for us to recognize the challenge today is James is pleading with people where he's saying the reason why so many of us are struggling at the moment is simply an answer to this question. When was the last time you were obedient to God? Like when was like, not, not when was the last time you let other Christians feel like you were good enough and like you were living your life well enough? Like everything looked good on the outside. That's like a Pharisee and Jesus called them whitewashed tombs. No, the moment when you were like, God, I know what you're saying to me. I'm going to follow in your footsteps. See, I've found in my own journey, the times that I'm most intimately aware of God's presence is not the moment when my life looks all together. It's the moment when I know God said, hey, that person that you just walked past, I, I want you to go and talk to him. And I'm like, stuff that. But then I just sense that's what I should go do. And in that moment of obedience, I, I, feel, I feel alive. I feel the presence of God. I feel like some of us are waiting for the presence of God to rock up in our world. And I wonder if God is just saying, and do what? Give you more things to ignore? And we're, we're called to be a people who outwork what we say. And, and as I was praying about this message for our family, as I was praying about what God was saying, I just had this question, what would new life look like? 
if we were marked by obedience? What would it look like? What would my life look like? I think sometimes we've become people who are great sermon appreciators and book critics. I think the Bible really meant to say this. Wasn't, wasn't Alex good? He lost me in the middle there. It would have been good if, if maybe instead of he went a bit down with his hands. Come next week, you'll see exactly what I mean. There's this sense, right, where we become great, I love you, you know, you're my favorite communicator. There's this sense where like, we, 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 we're good at this stuff, right? We finished preaching, and I'm a words of encouragement guy, like I am. Like, you want to know how to maybe walk, just say something nice to me. And I'm like, oh, that's right. lovely. But there's this thing where I realize as a pastor, you finish preaching, people go, oh, man, great sermon, pastor. That was awesome. That's so good. And if I can be honest, I've done this for long enough to know that that doesn't actually mean much anymore. Because anyone can appreciate a sermon but honestly, I'm not giving a monologue here for your appreciation. I'm praying that God is speaking through us today. The greatest thing you could say when Pastor Alex hops up and preaches would be this, Alex, you know, when you preach today, this is what God told me to do. This is what I'm now gonna go and take action on. Man, that's the best compliment you could ever give somebody. And if you're a parent, you know exactly what I mean. I heard you say, clean my room. Boy, that was good instructions. It changes when you go, I'm gonna go do it. I'm gonna go do it. Then as a parent, you're like, oh, you love me, <laughs> right? Like, you feel this sense. And the reason why I say that is because I think the world is tired. We talk about love, but we don't live out love. We know how to talk about this Christian sexual ethic and how amazing it is, but we have no one in our world that's struggling with it that we can love and offer grace to. We talk about grace, right? We don't give out grace, it's Jesus' job. We talk about forgiveness, but I've found sometimes Christians can be the least forgiving people in the world. We demand obedience from our children. This was hard for me as a parent when I just sense God say this, but when have they seen us be obedient? Brennan Manning once said this, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today, it'll be on the screen, is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips. Then they walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. <clears throat> I just have too many friends who've walked away from all of this, not because of Jesus, mainly because of Christians. What if we could write a different story? A different story that showed them that the rhythm of hearing and obeying is one of the greatest distinguishing factors of what it means to be a Christian. What if we showed them that it's a path to freedom, not a life of oppression? What if this was the best place to party and our small groups were the most infectious place of hospitality? What if we genuinely cared about each other? There were no needy people amongst us. Why? Because we hear the word of God and we do the word of God. What if we made ourselves inconveniently displaced for one another that we serve when we saw the need in our brothers and our sisters. Why? Because we hear and we do the word of God. I have a three-year-old son who, uh, being a picture on the screen, when he first discovered the joy of sprinklers. 
And uh, Archer's great. Many of you know Archer. He was born into this community a couple of years ago. And Archer's great. He's a, he's a champ, and he knows two words. The two words that he knows the best in this world are a response to anything I say. Because why? So when I say to him, hey, Archer, don't push Banner, my other son, off the trampoline. Because why? Hey, Archer, don't put your hand on the hot plate. Because why? Literally all the time. Archer, hop in the car. Because why, Daddy? I'm like, man, I tell you why. Because I'm your parent. Hop in the car. Right? That's how I feel sometimes. And I mean, you know, that's like not great parenting. But have your own kids and then you'll work it out. There's this sense, right, where he says this repeatedly. And I realize what actually grinds my gears is this, is that this is actually how I often react towards God. Hey, Michael, love the last, the lost, and the least. That person you walked past. Care for them. Oh, because why? Michael, honor me with your relationships. Because why? Love your wife. Serve her as Christ served the church. Love your husband. Serve him as Christ laid down his life for the church. Because why? And we we ask these questions, and I realize as a father, my greatest frustration with Archer is this. What else do I need you to do for you to trust me? That when I say don't do something or go over here, like I don't think I'm I'm a terrible dad, I've got a lot to improve, but it's because I love you. I'm saying this stuff not to hurt you, but protect you. And so often, I think the problem with us, with God, is that we don't trust Him. We don't find Him trustworthy. We say because why? Because we have a litany of experiences that we point to where we believe God let us down and failed us. And I just wonder if we were able to interrogate those and ask God, what were you doing in those moments? We would see a God who may have been saying or acting in a way where he was saying, come, follow me. This is not the path I want for you. Because why? Because I love you. See, if you look at the end of that verse, it actually talks about this moment that obedience to God is a pathway to freedom. Timothy Keller says it like this. Lo and behold, Timothy Keller's quote in my sermon. Freedom is not the absence of limitations and constraints, but it is finding the right ones, those that fit our nature and liberate us. I love how Aaron plays on the guitar, how, hey, on the piano, and how Adrian leads us on guitar, how good Tristan just like hammered out on jobs today. But their freedom by how they play came through submission to discipline and practice and rhythms over time. And this is the truth, friends. We want ultimate freedom, but ultimately the freedom we want will always be imprisoning to somebody else. We're all obedient to someone. And here's what I know. There's a God in heaven who never asks anything of you that he has not asked of himself. God the Father sent the Son to die a death on a cross that he, that he longed to redeem us with. Why? Because before that moment, did you know in the Bible, in the book of Hebrews, chapter five, it says this. The son, though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation of all who obeyed him. Here's the beauty of the gospel. Jesus learned obedience. Now, I don't know for sure, but there was probably a moment when Mary turns to Jesus and says, don't jump off that. And Jesus in that moment might have been like, because why? 
But I know he was never disobedient. But disobedience doesn't mean that obedience doesn't need to be learned. How beautiful is that? That Jesus learned obedience. He learned to trust Joseph and Mary. And here's the beautiful thing. He grew in a way where he trusted the Father in heaven. So there was a moment when obedience looked like him carrying a cross that he didn't long to carry, but chose to pick up on our behalf. That there was a moment when he subjected himself to painful torture and horrible, horrible weight of carrying the sins of the world. Why? Because he was obedient to the point of death. Death on a cross. And when we say to God, because why? The question I wonder if heaven reverberates back is what else? Do you need God to do to show you he should be trusted? What other sacrifice does God have to make to show you he would give it all again if it would mean to win you into his family? What else does God need to do? What else? Jesus, holding out nail-pierced hands, points at you and says, your why. Your why, I was obedient. For you were the joy that laid before me. So I endured the shame of the cross. Now will you trust me? Will you trust me with your marriage? Will you trust me with your singleness? Will you trust me with your finances? Will you trust me with, I mean, let's just go something simply, like maybe joining a small group, sitting at the break room without AirPods in to talk to people. Will you trust me to open my word because I want to love you. Friends, in my life, the rhythm of hearing and obeying has been one of the hardest I've ever practiced. I'm in a season at the moment where God's just called me to take a step back from media, not only social media, but um, YouTube, Netflix, and something like YouTube. I'm like, I just go down holes, man. Like, I start with black holes, and then I just move, I'm on the Titanic. And then like, by the next thing, I might find out conspiracy theories about like, you know, why John Howard was the Illuminati or something like that. Like, it's just, I, go, I find myself wasting hours. And I just realized that, um, you're good, man, if you want to come up. I was being more formed by useless information than by spending time with my family, by relationship with God. So since God be like, Michael, do you want to, I've actually felt it for about a year. And for most of last year, I was like, God, um, I'm not going to give up Netflix because that's almost like cutting off my arm. So let's choose something else. YouTube, not that I, and I just decided to start this year. I'm like, all right, God, let's do it. Let's go for a year. You know what? I've not regretted it once. I watch one movie a week with my wife. Beyond that, I'm more present with my kids. I have more time. And, and I just realized that what I thought God was calling me to endure has led me to freedom. Now, I'm not saying give up Netflix. If that's your vibe, like, go for it. I'm just saying my story. But I say this because I actually truly believe that some of you are longing for an intimacy with God that lies on the other side of obedience. And, um, and I think you know what it is. And, and there's, there's, there's a sense of fear around that. A sense, nail-scarred hands holding out to you today saying, trust me. Don't just hear what I've got to say for you. Would you come and live it? You won't regret it. Friends, would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Gracious God, we just pause. Mm. That wasn't God responding in that moment. 
And Holy Spirit, we just, we just make space. What do you want to say? I believe some of us have been struggling for so long and God's just revealing to us that our faith has sat like unused guitars in a corner. And He's saying to you, come, let me show you what it means to make beautiful music. Maybe some of you here today, you're scared about what obedience might look like. And God's just saying, I know that fear. Caused me to bleed in the Garden of Gethsemane as I faced it. But would you trust me to lead you through it? Some of you here today that you actually feel like Jesus is saying to you, will you just trust me with your life? Will you trust me with your life? The beauty of Jesus is, is that he looks at all the disobedience of our lives and he's not afraid of it. He's not scared of it. He wants to come and, and untangle what's been tangled, offer us forgiveness and grace. So today, I just want to start here. If you're here and you've never responded to the gospel of Jesus Christ, you've never trusted Jesus with your life, or if maybe you're here again, you're sensing God say, it's time again. Trust me. Return. I love you. If you want to respond to Jesus today, wherever you are, might be the first time or hundredth time, but respond to him saying, Jesus, I give you my life and I repent and turn towards you. Would you just raise your hand wherever you're sitting right now? I'll wait for you. I'll just wait a moment. It's awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. It's awesome. Thank you to those people who just raised their hand. I don't, I don't, I don't make light of that. That's that's scary. I want to lead you in a prayer right now. It's a prayer I've prayed thousands of times. It's a prayer Christians pray all the time. I'd love you to repeat these words after me. We're going to say them together. Let's say these words. Dear Jesus. Oh, that was like Alex. Let's say it again. Dear Jesus. I surrender my life. I'm sorry for my disobedience. I turn to you. Teach me the way of freedom follow you. Renew my heart. Make me new. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. I pray for those who just raise their hands, God. Would you just refresh them, restore them, and replenish their hearts today? I just want to um, finish with just a challenge that there are some of you today that you sense God saying there's a part of your life that He's saying He's calling you to, to follow Him in obedience, and I'm not sure what it is. Um, but you just sense God stirring particularly today. Now, this is not a call to, if you're a Christian or not, people who stand aren't more Christian than those sitting. But for those particularly today that you know this is a moment where God's saying it's time. Trust me with your finances, your relationships, your marriage. Trust me with your life. Trust me with, trust me with that thing that you've been trying to control. If that's you today, I just wonder. It might just be me standing today. But if it's you, would you just stand across this room? Would you just stand if that's you? It's awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you for having the courage to stand. Thank you, Jesus. It's beautiful. Friends, there are some people standing up on the balcony and some people standing down here. If you've got breath in your lungs and you're a Christian and someone's standing near you, could you just stand next to them and put your hand on their shoulder? 
you're wondering, is that me? It's probably you. This is just, just, you don't have to, if they don't want you to put their hand on your shoulder, it's fine. It's okay. It's not. Let's just pray. God, we come to you today and we stand with our brothers and sisters who are saying, God, I sense you saying, trust me. And we pray that you would lead us with the courage to do that. Lead us with the courage to give you it all in surrender. We give you our heart again. And I pray that on the other side of obedience would lie deeper intimacy for those who have stood today. May they know your love. May they know your challenge and the call to freedom. In Jesus' name. Friends, wherever you are, would everyone stand with us today? Would we all stand? We're now going to respond to the grace and goodness of Jesus. We're singing. And what I love about Brisbane is how often you sing louder than the band. Man, come on. That's great. Because there's nothing more important than us singing the truth of God over each other. Let's respond in worship today. Let's sing together. Thanks again for listening to The New Life podcast. Hey, if that stirred something within you or you'd like prayer for anything from one of our team, you can contact us at hello at church.nu or you can reach out to us on our Instagram or our Facebook page. Pray that you have a great week. Be blessed.